Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. There is a phrase that I found in the Word of God, and that's this one, that you will know that I am the Lord, that you will know that I am the Lord. I found that phrase 77 times in the Bible, 77 times in the Old Testament. Of those 77 times, 63 of them are used in the book of Ezekiel. It is God's way of saying, let me tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going to be doing, sometimes it's a desolation work. Sometimes it's a work of regathering. But he says, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, that you may know I am the Lord that they may know I am the Lord, that the nations may know that I am the Lord. That's the phrase he uses over and over again. Nine other places are all found in the book of Exodus. So the others are just kind of spread out throughout because in the book of Exodus, he had a battle going as well. Remember that? Who's the battle going with in the book of Exodus? The gods of Egypt. That's what's going on with the gods of Egypt. Does Egypt know the Lord? No. No, they don't. They don't know the Lord. Matter of fact, Pharaoh said, who? Moses goes in and says, let my people go. You know, that the Lord says he wants his people to go. Who is this? The Lord. Who's that? And there's a people sitting right there who are supposed to be the people of the Lord. In his very place. But he's got him enslaved. He hasn't cared about it. You see, he's a god. The Pharaoh is a god. He's not acquainted with this other name you're dropping on here. And I I don't know who he is. It doesn't have anything to do with me. And God takes that as a wonderful invitation. Then after I get done here, you will know who I am. You will know the Lord. And after I get done here, not only will you know the Lord, the nations will know I am the Lord. If you remember, by the time Israel did make it up to the promised land, the nations were already terrified. Why? Because they had heard that the Lord had drowned the army of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. They had heard that somebody just whooped up on Pharaoh and Egypt. And they understood his name to be Yahweh. Who is that? We don't anything about him. We've not heard of him before, but they will now. So in the book of Ezekiel, when he does all the things he's going to do in Ezekiel, he says, I am doing this that the nations will know I am the Lord. I'm doing this so you will know that I am the Lord. I'm doing this so everyone will know that I am the Lord because he wants to be known. So if you would, let's pick up with him. Let's let's talk about God's covenant love for and with Israel. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. As we've tried to tell you before, um, this book, the Bible, is a book about Israel. It's not a book about China. So you don't need to expect to find a whole lot in here about what's the future of China. It's not that kind of book. It wasn't made to be that kind of a book. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. This is a book about Israel. Why? Because that's his bride. He's going to talk about Israel because Israel's the one he loves. 
You say, doesn't he love everybody else? Uh, yes and no. He's angry with the wicked every day. He hates the wicked. Uh, You've you got to know God's love life and God's hate life both. He's got both, okay? So he loves Israel, and he's planning to do all kinds of things for Israel. That's why Edgemont Bible Church is smart if it keeps on supporting Israel. I mean by supporting Israel, praying for Israel every day that her eyes will finally be open and she'll see Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that she'll see Jesus as her Messiah. Everybody with me on this? You see where I'm coming from? We want to be interested in the things that are of Israel. Why? Israel is the key to prophecy. I, I don't know what train derailments have to do with prophecy. I, I don't know. I'd have to make up something to talk about what earthquakes have to do with prophecy. But I don't have to make up anything when I see Israel become a nation. I don't have to create anything. That's the big deal. That's what he said. Watch for this. Watch for this. When you see this happening, get your eyes set, pals. Look for the sky. Because this is a big, big thing. All right? So let's talk about this in Deuteronomy 32. <clears throat> uh, pick up with me. Uh, where do I want to pick this up? Uh, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. Now, stop just for a moment. Why would you have to do that? Because what you're looking at is a book written by Moses. Now, if I get the, the little timeline going here, here's creation, here, and, and, and here's Abraham, and then here is, wow, Moses is way out here. And he's writing about everything all the way back to the beginning. So you're reading a book written up here about all the things that happened back here. Everybody follow him? And he's saying, hey, you need to ask your fathers. Why? Because it was an oral story that was listening. He's writing the first real history of the world. You follow that? This, this from that Moses is writing is the real history of the world. This is what really happened. No, it isn't what the Babylonians said happened. No, it's not what the Egyptians said happened. No, it's not what, and name any group you want. He is correcting everybody writing this genuine history of the beginning of the world. And here he is writing all this good stuff, and he's saying, you're going to have to ask your fathers, and they'll tell you. They know the big event. They know back here when the Tower of Babel was. They know about that day. They know about what happened there. Here is a strange thing that people who had just been on a boat that had floated around for a year at the time that everybody on the earth was destroyed. And here, 150 years later, they're deciding they'll build a city and a tower in defiance of God because they don't want anything more to do with him. They don't want to, were they angry? You know, you, you, sometimes, wouldn't you like to know what the gaps say? There's a whole lot of blank spaces in there that you'd really like to know what they say. And, and I'm just going to share with you, anything you throw in the blank is speculation. So anything I throw in the blank here to tell you what was going on between the, the end of the flood and the beginning of the Tower of Babel is just speculation on my part. It's just an opinion. Don't walk away with it saying this is what, what happened that period of time. Were they angry with God? Did they say, what kind of God do we serve here that kills all those people? 
I, I don't know why I want to be around that guy like that. For whatever reason, they built this. And the father saw it. And the father said, you know, I really am done with people. And he divorced them. He divorced them. There were about 70 families that were growing, not 70 nations yet, 70 families that were going at that time. And among those 70 families, he took them and gave them each a language of their own and split them apart. This one's speaking Mandarin while this one's speaking Japanese, and they're not understanding a word of what they're saying to each other. This one's speaking Spanish, and this one's speaking uh, Russian. And they're not grasping a thing either one saying. So he scattered them out so that they would do what he told them to do. <coughs> As he's scattering them out, he gave them a land to live in, bounded it off and said, that's your land, make it work. He bounds another one off. That's your land, make it work. That's your land, make it work. And to help you make it work, I'm going to give you one of the divine council members, one of the 70, and they're going to be over you as princes, governors over you. And they're going to teach you how to do that. They're going to teach you how to come back to the Lord. They're going to teach you how to get past your arrogance, past your foolishness, and come back to the living God, and I can accept you into my family. That's the great divorce. That was the great divide. Kids, we need to make a lot more of that than we normally do because we don't spend much time on that. We kind of go, kind of like the flood, and waters, and then there was this, no, these are big deals. God is telling us what he did and why there's all of us out here speaking so many different ways, why there's so many different looks about all of us. He's telling us why he did it. And he's telling us he divorced all those nations. But he chose one for himself. He chose, according to Genesis chapter 12, one guy named Abraham. One guy. And that one guy, honestly, from that point that he chooses Abraham in Genesis 12, all the way through to the book of Revelation where the kingdom established is about that people and all the nations that interact with them. So when you read this book, don't expect to find the United States there. It's not the history of the United States. Countries come, come countries go. The history is about the history of Israel and the nations that dealt with her. He chose her for himself. Look, if you would, Deuteronomy 32 again. Pick up on verse 8. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam and set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of, and we've shared with you before, it says children of Israel. There were no children of Israel then. When he divided them up back at the Tower of Babel, there were no children of Israel. What there were were the sons of God. And that's what he divided up. And so the Septuagint says, sons of God. The Dead Sea Scrolls say, sons of God. Everybody with me here? So he divided it up according to the number of nations. That. Then he said, verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the place of his inheritance. So the Lord chose for himself one, and he's giving all the other nations to the 70 members of the divine council. So he's got this one that he's focusing his attention on. He's got a land he wants that group of people to be in. It's precious to him, that land. All right? Let me, let me go a little further because I want you to see this. They came, uh, as they, uh, they wandered among the nations and so forth, they went down to Egypt. 
They went down to Egypt because of climate change. At, at the climate change where they all went into a major famine, he moved them. Okay, that's what God uses climate change for. He moves people around. He alters economies. He raises up nations and puts down nations. That's what he uses climate change for. That's one. If, if you can just imagine God with a nice tool belt, think of him like Todd. And Todd's got this nice tool belt. Todd will always, every time I see Todd, he's got, uh, well, every time he comes here to church, because he's always doing something here at the church, he's got a tool belt on. Okay? God's got a tool belt. See it? Climate change. He can rip out. I'll use climate change on this one. He's got another belt called nations that explore, and he's got nations that conquer other nations. He's got a tool belt full. He can do a lot of things to move people around the way he wants to. But he took that people, Jacob, and down to Egypt, he took them. I want you to get remember with me. How many people was that? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Now, those 75 people are going to need to stay in Egypt. Turn to Genesis 15, please. Genesis 15. Here, uh, Abraham's making complaint that he really doesn't have an heir, and he really needs somebody who can be his heir. Uh, you know, you remember, God, you had promised like I'd have a son. Well, I, I don't have that. And so uh, could you, uh, well, it says in verse 12, Genesis 15. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the children of Abraham are going to be going down into Egypt for 400 years. All right? Let's go on further. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So get this. There are two reasons why they could not have the promised land with the 75 people they were. Reason number one, the Amorites are not finished being the sinners they need to be yet. They've got to finish their cup. They've got to do all the iniquity they're going to do so that God will judge them. God's giving them time to repent, time to repent, time to repent. They're not repenting. They just get worse and worse. So he's going to bring a judgment on them. The judgment he's going to bring on them is when Israel comes back into the land and kills the giants, starts destroying and scattering the other people. That's going to be the judgment completed for that. There's a second reason. 75 people could not hold and occupy the promised land. You've got a demographic problem. You've got to have a population that can sustain it. How long does it take to get enough people to be a nation, to stop being a little family and get to be a nation? You're 75 people, that's a family. Might be a big family, but it's a family. It's not a nation. You've got to go down, and God's blessing them while they're in that place of uh, captivity, he's blessing them as he's making them more and more fruitful. Matter of fact, they were so fruitful. Remember how Egypt started feeling about that? Wow, you got to stop these people. There's a lot more of them than there are of us. We got to get that control. So tell the, the midwives, kill the boys. 
stop this madness. We got to have this stopped. It didn't happen. They continue to grow. So by the time they're leaving, they're about two million strong. Now that is getting closer to a nation. Follow what I'm saying? So there was a demographic reason for staying there. Go on with me. He made a great delivery of them from Egypt. Hey, you remember that phrase I told you about? Listen to the number of times it's used in Exodus. Exodus 6, 7. I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egypt. So Moses goes down, and Moses is saying, hey, Yahweh sent me. And they said, who? Yahweh. Who's that? That's your God. Oh, okay. Well, what's he, what's he want? He wants to take you out of here. Yeah, yeah, we're for that. That's good. That's a great deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and what's more, um, he's got a, a land for you, a promised land. Yeah, I like this even better. It's a great one. Yeah, I love this. Who's that? Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay, yeah, it's good. I like it. He's going to deliver them so that they'll know he is Yahweh. You follow me? That's why he's gathering them up. That's why this whole thing is being done. They don't know him, and he's going to make them know him. He's going to spend time with these people. He is going to do, well, this thing goes on further. And he says, uh, I'm doing these things, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel among them. So Egypt is going to know this unknown God. Remember, that all the way back to the book of Acts again, where you're having a, an altar made to the unknown God. There's all kinds of people did not know who Yahweh was, and he's making himself known. So as he takes them out of Egypt, uh, let's see, um, here in verse 14, 18, the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord when I've gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. Um, they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So his delivery for them was in order that they would know who God is, who the Lord is. Her promise for her or obedience. Listen, he's making a covenant with her. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28 for just a moment. Deuteronomy 28. Are you still with me? Don't, don't get lost here. I, I know I'm... Uh, Hopefully making some sense. We'll get to it as we go here. All right. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, your basket, your kneading bowl. You you come in, you're going to be blessed when you come in, you're going to be blessed when you go out. I'll cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. On and on he goes. Wonderful promises to a nation that simply do what he says to do. Just do what I say to do, and I've got this big gob of promises I'm going to hold for you. You're going to be a prosperous nation. I'm going to set you above every other nation. All the other nations around are going to look. What? Now, remember, this is the nations who have this guy as their God, 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 and they're all looking at that little guy in the middle who the Lord says, that's my people. They're small in number. 
They're not particularly pretty people. They're not particularly ugly people. They're just people. And God's doing something with them. And they're watching here. My, look at that land. That land prospers. They've got plenty to eat. They're exporting stuff. They're, not imp- they're, they're taking our stuff in. They're just getting richer. They don't have to have any of the stuff we're bringing. They're just getting richer. So by the time of Solomon, silver and gold are like nothing. It's, it's like trading commodities with quarters. He just made it everywhere. Now go another step with me. Deuteronomy 28, pick up with me in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, and observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Wow. Can I just say this? There were 14 verses that included all the, the <laughs> including his introductory stuff, that, it, that were all of the blessings. Starting at verse 15, it runs all the way through, yeah, verse 67, is it? No, 68. All the way through 68. 15 through 68, there's a few more curses along the way, all right? So he tells them that the, the very opposite of the thing I told you, you're going to be cursed in the city, you're going to be cursed in the country, you're going to be cursed in your basket, you're going to be cursed in your body, you're going to be cursed. So all these curses came upon them. And those were all in order that they would know, I am the Lord, and that they would turn. But if none of that worked, if none of that worked, look when they please at, uh, was it verse 63? Oh, 64. Okay, if none of that works, if you don't come to me, if you don't, then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. There you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known wood and stone. And among those nations you will find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. So what was the promise? You don't follow me. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to put you all over the world, from one end of this world to the other. Every corner of the earth you're going to be. Well, That took place several different times. The ten tribes of the north got scattered by Assyria all over the place. And I saw a great documentary. I don't remember what year it was written, was was done, but it was in search of the ten lost tribes. Oh, that was good. If If you haven't seen it, I just want to encourage you to just look up Finding the Ten Lost Tribes. Look on its YouTube. It's, it's, it's a great, it's got a little bit of time to it. It'll take about an hour and a half or so, something like that. But they found people who were following Torah living in like Afghanistan, living in Uzbekistan, living in Burma, living in China as groups, not well liked by the people around them, often persecuted, not well liked at all, but they were finding names for all the ten tribes. They found all of them, kids. And he had scattered them all over the world, just like he said. Everybody with me? He said, well, yeah, we know all that. We all know that. Listen, you know that because you've read it in this book. 
He said, I'm going to do it in order that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Every place they go, the nations are going to know that I am the Lord, and I disqualified them from being in this place. It was in order that people would know who he is. Everybody follow that? Go on another step further with me. He followed through on that. As we've seen in, matter uh, of fact, Ezekiel, let's, 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 let's do turn to Ezekiel now, okay? Let's go to Ezekiel because there's things we want to look at there. In Ezekiel 36, 19. In Ezekiel 36, 19. This Ezekiel guy, he is something else. He gets to do all kinds of weird things. He's a, a, a Levite, uh, a priest, and he's called on to do some really peculiar stuff. Uh, 3619, Ezekiel 3619, where it reads, So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they've gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, wherever they went. Stop just for a minute. God loves them, but God loves the land of Israel. Look, we may not think a great deal about land because we think of it as a commodity. Kids, it's not just a commodity. God sets people apart on those lands. He sees them as belonging to those people. You follow me? That land of Israel is a holy place. It's a holy place because he sanctified it. It's his land. He's given to his wife. So when they went to the nations and they found themselves living in foreign territory under foreign gods, the people were saying, what's the matter with those people? Why don't they go back where they belong? You ever heard anything like that recently? Who's that crossing our southern border? Why don't they go back where they belong? We ever said anything like that? Why are we saying that? Because we also believe God does have lands that he set aside for certain people. Israel is such a land as that. And it profanes God when everybody knows that was their land and they're not in it. That profanes God. Everybody see what I'm saying? He made a promise to them that he would restore them and there would be an end of the Gentile domination. Because he made that promise, he's going to follow through with that promise. The same way he said, I'm going to scatter you, and he scattered them. Everybody with me? That's why he said it. That's why he did it. That they might know that he is the Lord. Friends, if we can stop and look every now and then and begin to say, are people getting to know that the Lord is the Lord? Let me, let me tell you why I'm going through all this. This is a setup because I know there is an event coming right, right here just before that tribulation period 
that is going to be so huge. It's going to cause all the nations to know that he is the Lord. It's going to cause Israel to know he is the Lord. And I believe it's the one single event that's going to bring them back to examine their past, their history, and to look at their future with Messiah. I believe that's the event that's going to kick off what we know of as the tribulation, that seven-year period. So as we get a chance to explore this over these next few weeks, I want to be able to show, show you that God's Word is true. I don't know much about the headlines and how to make all of them fit, but I know that one works. And I, I want you to know that there are things going on today that look like they are setting up the things that he already said he was going to do. There are players being put in the right place even now to fulfill what he said he was going to do in the book of Ezekiel. I know I'm not going to have time to do that this morning. We're going to look at it. That's why this is part one. I know this is going to be several parts because I don't want to do it wrong. I want to make sure that you're getting it. If you walk away from here today, all I want you to walk away with is God loves Israel. And you don't have to say, I don't see why. They're, they're hard-headed. They're hard Listen, let me, let me see if I can say it again. God loves Israel. Now, if that's, that becomes a problem for you again, let me say it to this. God loves you. Apply same questions. I don't see why. They're a bunch of hard-headed, hard-nosed. You follow me? Don't be surprised when God says, I love Israel. Don't sit there and say they're not worth it. Unless you're willing to say, why does God love me? And if you can answer that by saying, well, it's because I'm obviously worth it, then you're missing the point. <laughs> okay? God loves you not because you are so great, but because you're not. He loves Israel not because they're so great, but because they're not. And he's going to do something that proves to all the nations he's the Lord. He has to do that. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll open our hearts to the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to see the things that you've given to us, Father. Forgive us when we overlook the most obvious things. Thank you for what you're doing in us just now. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Before we sing that last song, I'm just going to, uh, to encourage you to do this. Maybe you're here today and you've been toying the idea that Jesus is that Christ. Maybe you're here today and you know you've been brought up in a Christian home, but you never really took it seriously that it applies to you. Maybe it's been mom and dad's faith that you've been listening to for a long, long time. If that's the case, then I'm going to ask you to stop, think just for a moment. Quit being anybody else this morning. Just be yourself and being honest with yourself. Friend, you are the one standing in the need of prayer. You're the one standing in the need of the Lord. It's just not about mom and dad. This is not about Edgemont Bible Church. It's not about the people you like or you don't like. Stop. God's speaking to you right now. 
Here are simple ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. You have a need for a Savior. B, believe that Jesus Christ is that Messiah that's going to save you. Believe that God took his, took his Son and put all your sin on Him, and that Christ died for you, and three, was raised from the dead. Letter C, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Admit that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died for you, and was raised again from the dead, and confess Christ as Lord. God bless you. Guys, God's about to do some very powerful things. You're starting to see Him. You know they're working. You know He's at work a great deal. You're going to be, uh, don't, don't be surprised by the things that are coming about because they are going to be big. Why? Because He's got to bring Israel around to believe. He's got to bring the nations around to believe, to understand what's going on. He's preparing for the great judgment that's coming. Wouldn't, you just, wouldn't it be just like God to do the great mercy before the great judgment? To throw out his mercy net ahead of time because he's got a judgment coming, kids. He already told us about it. We've already seen signs of it coming already. It's just like him to throw a great mercy net out and to draw people in right now to spare them from the judgment which is to come. Be a part of it, not fighting it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. And thank you for what that gospel is accomplishing in all our lives. We ask, Father, just now that you will minister great revival in these last days. That in the latter days you'll do just exactly as you said you would do. Thank you for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask that the Israeli people will come to know Jesus Christ in a massive way, in a huge way, Father, of trusting Jesus as their Messiah. And we're going to thank you for what you're going to do and the way you're going to do it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.